The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I'm glad you are with us today. Super glad you're here. Uh, I want to give a little shout out to uh, Annette Westerfield. She's back over here, her and her husband, Tom. Uh, Stand up for a second. Come on. I know you love this moment. I know, right? This is Annette. If you're wondering why, it's because uh, her and Tom were on staff here at the church for years, but uh, they actually pastored down in San Juan Capistrano in California, and uh, that's where my daughter goes to church down there when she's at school. So anyways, um, you're awesome. We love you guys. Glad you're here. Good to see you. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. If you got a Bible, I know I mentioned this a lot, but uh, if you got a Bible with you, you crack it open. Mark 10 is where we'll land. Uh, if you got a smartphone, that's fine. Also want to encourage you uh, to be a note taker. I think there may be certain things that are mentioned here today or some scriptures that we refer to that might be good to write down so you remember. So go ahead and uh, we'll start in Mark 9. We'll get to Mark 10 here in a moment. How many out there, uh, raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hands. You're married. <gasps> Okay, uh, awesome. Love the shout. That's, that's good news. I hope your wife appreciates that. Um, how many out there want to, you're not married, but you want to be? Just raise your hands real high. Okay, look around, turn around, look around a little bit, get an idea. Just kidding. If you're online, you can just mark it in the chat and somebody could say, oh, hi. Uh, anyway, just, just joking. But uh, it, it, I, I've been married to Heather for 23 years last month, and uh, I've, I've made the joke before that, uh, and then we do this sometimes in our marriage, boy, uh, you know, my, uh, I, I married up. Is, is how we say it, and um, it's a joke, but in my marriage, it's kind of serious, because I did, and uh, I, I actually, I feel bad for my, there are times where I say to her, I'm sorry that you are, you're stuck with me, um, but part of the reason, if I'm being honest, part of the reason is because I can be really stubborn, I can be really thick-headed, um, anybody else out there with me, help me feel good, just give me, yeah, thank you, and if you're lying, I don't even care right now, I just feel so good um, about myself. No, um, I really can be, and, and there are, are, I look back at certain moments in our, in our marriage where we, we've had, you know, a, a fight, disagreement, things are tense, and I, I, there's times I can't even remember what they were about. Like you're, you're like standing on ground, you don't even know what you're standing on, you're just, you know, upset for some reason. I can remember that, and I think, man, that's really, really thick-headed of me, and it is something that I won't excuse, it's something I continue to work on, and, and you, can, you can ask my wife uh, about that, and, and hopefully she'll agree, but anyway... Um, But I I say that because I think I'm thick-headed, and yet when I was looking at the text for today, Mark 9 and Mark 10, uh, I was thinking, the disciples, I think they might be more thick-headed than I am. And that's not a judgment on them. You know, God bless you guys. But anyway, um, but, uh, sorry, that was bad. Okay. Um, But in Mark 9, um, let me explain this. In Mark 9, we're deep into Jesus' ministry. We're talking like two, two and a half years, maybe even from that, into Jesus' ministry. And, and he has over and over, if you've read the Gospels at all, there have been miracles and, and this teaching with authority, the multiplication of food, and all this stuff that, that happens. And, and of course, they're amazed at the things that Jesus has to say. When you get to Mark 9, and this happens in, in all the Gospels, there's a movement from traveling from town to town and teaching and miracles and stuff, where he's moving towards Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the Gospels, Jesus moving towards Jerusalem is, is you know, kind of the end of his ministry and the arrest and trial and crucifixion and stuff. And in Mark 9, he brings it up to the disciples. I want, I want you to follow me here. Okay, watch this. Um, as he turns, Mark 9, 31, Jesus says to the disciples, the Son of Man, and they know he's referring to himself when he says that, the Son of Man is going to be, to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days rise again. Jesus just said this. 
And, and they don't understand, and so there's some you know, issue here. They continue traveling on the road, and what they end up talking about right after this conversation Jesus has with them, they end up talking about who's going to be the greatest. I'm like, Jesus just said what? And you're like, who's going to be the greatest? Okay, so it, that, that's kind of how it goes. It, it, really, the idea is, what they're saying is, when Jesus is crowned, when Jesus receives the glory of being crowned, then, then who's going to be the greatest as far as us? And you can imagine Peter's like, it'll be me. And John's like, I don't know. We're the sons of thunder. You know, they're going back and forth. And then literally immediately they, they travel, they get to Capernaum. And that's where this happens. Uh, Mark nine thirty three. when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who would be the greatest. So they're kind of like, oh, no, he, he probably knows. He does know. Okay, but anyway, um, <laughs> verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And you can imagine them like, I told you he knew. See, anyway, and then this, he took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so keep in mind, in Jesus' day, and, and this can be similar to what you hear about maybe generations ago, that phrase, children are to be seen, not heard kind of thing. It's like children didn't have any, any weight in society. It's like wait until they get to a certain age when they deserve some level of attention and respect. But in the meantime, they just kind of live in the shadows. And so when Jesus brings this child up in front and, and says what he says, it's kind of a big deal that he's giving some sort of prominence or a level of attention and respect to a child. And so he's trying to get a point across to them that they don't understand about how the kingdom of God works. Okay, watch this. Back to verse 36. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me doesn't welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Like, I, anybody out there a teacher? Anybody a teacher in younger, like, kindergarten? For, that reminds me of, like, a first-grade classroom. It does. It's like, it's like the teacher's like, okay, kids, get out your workbooks. We're going to do math now. My carpet's the same color as the carpet in here. It's like, that's, that's how I feel about what's going on here. Jesus is like, hey, just so you know, the kingdom works like this. Like, we saw someone driving out demons. And like, what in the world is happening? Okay, so it continues... There's more teaching. And again, you look at the rest of Mark 9, you get into Mark chapter 10, more teaching, more stuff goes on. And you get to Mark chapter 10, verse 32, and here's what it says. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Okay, now we're getting to like, this is a big deal. I've said before, the heat's being turned up. They're, they're no longer frustrated, the religious leaders, about Jesus. Now they just go, we want him dead and stuff like that. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Okay, picture it. And, they, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and said uh, to them what was going to happen to him. And he gets very specific here. Verse 33, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. 
Okay, let me, let me go back for a second. In verse 32, when it says that Jesus is leading the way and the disciples felt, felt this like, oh my word, they're sort of, it says that they were astonished while those who followed were afraid. The reason is because they understood, okay, Jesus is gonna somehow reign and that's gonna be awesome. And they were arguing about who'd be the greatest in this whole kingdom situation, not specifically heavenly kingdom, but earthly kingdom. And, and here they are again, and Jesus goes to Jerusalem and what they're assuming, just so you know the context, what they're assuming is this is where some sort of battle takes place. This is where some sort of thing happens where Jesus takes over and oh my word, like this is the moment. I wonder how it's gonna go. Maybe we'll all survive. I don't, there's like something gonna happen. So it says they were, astonished, like, oh boy, here we go, while those who followed were afraid, like they want Jesus killed, now he's heading towards them, and this is all a big deal. So this is where he takes another opportunity to say, let me explain to you what's going to happen, because you, you, you still don't quite get what's supposed to happen. And there he gets very specific about Jerusalem, the idea of, of the betrayal and being delivered over and, and being condemned to death and mocked and spit on and flogged. Immediately following those words, remember, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus pulls aside the 12. There was others that were around. Pulls aside the 12 and says, listen, this is what's about to happen. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to be delivered over. They're going to mock me. All that stuff is about to take place. Immediately following that moment, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Hey, hey, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and on your left uh, uh, when you're in your glory. That's the immediate conversation after he's very specific about what's about to happen to him. And again, I'm like, these guys are, are thicker in the head than me, which made me feel really good. So, so here they are, astonished that he's going to Jerusalem, assuming that this is maybe the moment where Jesus kind of takes over and he's going to be the, this king or whatever. It's, it's that time. And, and the first people to line up after the conversation are James and John. And they're like, hey, Jesus, can, can we talk to you for a moment? And the other disciples are like, I don't know what's going on there. You know, whatever, they're just talking to him. And so the sons of thunder pull aside Jesus and go, hey, 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 when you rule, can we be on your right and on your left? Now, here's something I find relatively amusing. How many gospels are there? Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In, in Mark's account, James and John go to Jesus and say, can we sit on your right and your left? Do you know what Matthew's story says? Helicopter mom came along. I'm just going to say it. That in, in, in Matthew, it says that James and John's mom came with them and, and asked Jesus. It's almost like they're like sheepish guys, like, go ahead, mom, go ahead, ask, go ahead, you know? That's, again, just what I, I'm like, I don't know what Matthew's doing. I don't know, Mark, like, what's the exact, I don't know the details here, but helicopters, anyway, so, okay. Um, Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. The reason Jesus says you don't know what you're asking is because Jesus understands like he's going to die. And the idea of him being the king is actually that he will defeat death and, and sin and all that stuff. And they don't get that yet. You, you look at what happens later. He ends up being unjustly tried and he, he's crucified. He dies on the third day, raises again. You and I celebrate Resurrection Sunday. It's, it's the differentiator between every other world religion and us that we have a, a savior who's alive, a king who, who lives. And it's amazing. Later on, once the Holy Spirit shows up, once that power comes, they're different individuals. 
So that's great. But at this point, they still just don't get it. So they go, can we be on your right and on your left when you're reigning? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Because they think that somehow they're going to get some prominent position. One of the keys here is this. As Jesus continued to do ministry, you probably know this, his fame began to spread. And really part of the issue was that the religious leadership was really jealous of, of all the attention that he was getting. And so as the heat's being turned up and they want him dead, that's what's happening. But as Jesus is gaining fame, remember that, that really in some ways they're looking at the disciples going, hey, you're one of, it's like, hey, we're the disciples, capital D, you know, like kind of excited about the moment. And, and here they are like, hey, hey we're, we're part of this group. Hey, we're going to be somebody. Wow, I might get the right, you might get the left, or you might get the right, I'll get the left. It doesn't even matter. We're going to reign with them. This is going to be amazing. They're going to want our autographs. They're going to want us to come to parties. They're going to want all this stuff. This is Jesus' kingdom. Here we go. You don't understand what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Spoiler alert. He's not talking about drinking things. And, and uh, uh, water baptism, we see him baptized in the Gospel of John in particular. What he's talking about is going to the cross and suffering. So he says, can you? And they say, totally. Okay, in some ways, when I, was, I feel like they just sealed their fate. If you know the story at all, what we see is that, that James is killed for his faith. He's a martyr later on. And John, as you might know, was the one disciple, aside from Judas, who betrayed Jesus and, and ended up killing himself. But John was the only disciple that was, or apostle, that was um, boiled in oil and survived, and instead of dying for his faith, was exiled to an island for the rest of his life. When they say we can, I'm like, oh man, if they only knew. Because if they really understood, they'd have been like, ah, no, I don't think so. Now, Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink. And again, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about a baptism unto death. And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right and my, on my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been appointed. And, and, and another understanding there is Jesus is talking about the Father puts us in those places, gives prominence in those places. It's, it's the idea that Jesus, again, you're talking Trinity here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus as the Son is like, this is, this is for my Heavenly Father, not for me to grant. He takes care of that stuff. Now, look, look at this, because in some ways, like, it gets worse. Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. As uh, they were upset that, Je that Je they pulled Jesus aside and they're like, I don't know what they're doing. And then they find out that they asked to sit in prominent places and they're like, why didn't we get there first? Why, why didn't we do that? Why didn't they think of that? Why is his mom over there? And I couldn't cut in front of his mom, you know? And so the truth is that's, that's why they were mad. Like, why didn't we ask first? And, and you, you got James and John and they're kind of excited about this idea. Like we got it, we got in line first, we're excited. And then Jesus called them together so James and John with mom, maybe aside with Jesus. And he says, hey, God, can you come over here, please? And it says, Jesus says this, verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And you got James and John like, yeah, totally. 
And what he's talking about isn't a lot different than the way the systems of the world work today. For you and I, as we think about this word success, and, and we hear, you know, climbing the ladder, and, and, and we hear about, you know, promotion and opportunity and bigger office and more money and more perks and parking spot and all this stuff. And there are so many individuals looking to climb certain ladders to get to certain places that looks like success. And sometimes it means stepping on heads, and sometimes it means burning bridges, and sometimes it means doing things that aren't ethical. But if it gets you to where you're supposed to be, who cares? So be it. Let's go that route. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They're not afraid to oppress and mistreat in order to keep their titles and keep their power. And it doesn't necessarily work a lot different even in the world that we live in. He says their high officials exercise authority over them. And that's where for me, James and John are like, exactly. I got dibs, shotgun, that's us. We're there, we got in line first. And then Jesus says this simple phrase, not so with you. And that's what he says to you. And that's what he says to me. Not so with you. If your version of success requires burning bridges and friendships, if your version of success means cutting corners and doing things unethically, If your version of success means walking aside from your faith in order to accomplish whatever goals you might have, that is not God's design for your life. You don't have to scrape and claw and climb at the expense of others to get where God wants you to be. And this is not a popular message. This is not a a famous thing to say. And yet what we learn is that the kingdom of God works in so many ways, opposite of the way the kingdoms of the world work. What did Jesus say? You want to live? You've got to die to yourself. You want more? Give generously. You want to exalt yourself? Humble yourself. There's all these principles that, that, that exist within the kingdom of God, and the disciples are, are guilty of it, but, but what about you and me? What about how we think and operate? What about that sense sometimes of entitlement? What about when you get snubbed? What about as simple as I did something and they didn't even thank me? And if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I'm not trying to raise God. I don't have to say thanks. I'll treat your kids to be polite. Great. But what happens within us sometimes is a certain level of narcissism. Well, I'll do nice, but they better say thank you. They better honor me, better get the award. Again, that's that climbing ladders the world's way. Jesus says, not so with you. Everybody repeat that, not so with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, not so with you. Come on, just do it. (laughs) Not so with you. And so here's James and John and, and Jesus, you can imagine, they're like, we got in line first, shotgun, we're, ne- we're there, we're going to get those positions. They didn't ask, we asked, we're good. And Jesus says, not so. And you can imagine them going, oh, we really blew it here, I think. I think we might have missed it. <laughs> and Jesus says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. If the kingdom of God is about climbing ladders, for you and I, it's about climbing down. And you don't like that. 
And I don't like that. I love how I was talking to one of our interns. We have an internship here, and I love that training up people that believe they have a call to ministry. I was talking to one of our interns the other day, and I said, hey, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm a janitor and stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, wait, really? I'm like, that's, that's like a thing. Because I know that multiple people on our own team, it's like, where did you start? You know, well, I was a janitor. And, and again, I'm not tuning my horn here, but when I started here at the Grove Church, I was a janitor. In fact, Tom Westerfield was my boss. And I was a janitor. And I've scrubbed every toilet and vacuumed and cleaned and every floor and mopped and every window and pulled weeds, all the stuff. But let me be honest with you, just because I have a different position today doesn't mean I'm above any of those things. And it's not, you go, oh, well, go grab a toilet scrubber and show me. But the, the idea, and, and by the way, in the context of what Jesus is talking about, this idea, if, if you want to be great, serve. In Jesus' day, the, the most vulnerable people in society in Jesus' day were widows and orphans. And over and over, what you have is the writers of our New Testament saying, hey, you know, love God, do all this, but make sure you take care of widows and orphans. In other words, they can't do anything for you. They don't have anything to give you, but serve and love them well because that's kingdom stuff. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be even greater? Serve without any expect of a thank you or an award. And it's not that appreciation isn't a big deal. But the truth is, sometimes we're like, well, I'm not willing to unless you... And we get that way sometimes. We're called to serve. We're part of a movement in Christ that, that, that has a passion for making a difference within our communities that, we, that were represented in this room. And maybe they're right here in Marysville. Maybe they're on the outlying areas in certain cities. Fine. But the picture that we have and the dream that we hold is that how do we serve? Because that can make a dent in the kingdom of darkness. I know that we talk about this all the time. I know that I say this all the time, but you've heard our language if you've been here for a couple of months, probably weeks even, but six months, a year, five years. Some of you guys are like, it's the same message every week. You talk about serving and loving people. Sorry, that's all I got. And maybe, maybe until we get that nailed, I'll, I'll move on. You know, right? So just, that's what I meant as a slam. I'm just like, man, maybe I don't have it yet, right? But that, that's at the core of the gospel. You want to be great? Don't worry so much about climbing the ladder unless you're willing to climb down the ladder. The movement of the kingdom of Jesus is not going to happen if we exist for ourselves. And one of the great concerns as a pastor, and again, I read and study and pray and consider what's going on church world locally, but church world all over. One of the great concerns I have is the church becomes known for circling their own wagons, doing things for themselves making this about us. I made the joke last week, like the, the seat you're sitting in, that's not your seat. These aren't your seats. Don't ever ask someone, hey, can you move? That's my seat. It's not your seat. There's people that, that, that you know, hey, well, you know, I, I, I love to worship God, but I wish you'd just do this song or that song, or I don't like this one or that one. People that say, I don't like that my pastor dresses the way you dress. I've had people tell me that multiple times. We, we, people walk in the room, and if you've come in the double doors, what does it say above the door? Auditorium. auditorium. And some people go, it's not an auditorium, it's a sanctuary, the house of God. And the reason we put auditorium is because forever people think we come to church. No, you don't. You show up as the church to be sharpened and built up together so you can go out and be the church. Yeah. I'm just telling you this right now. This is just a room. This is just a place with walls and heat and air conditioning, kind of. 
And if you're in the balcony, you're like, there is no air conditioning. (laughs) And it's not that this isn't, in one sense, a sanctuary, meaning a safe place to come. And in particular, through the lens of Christ, a safe place to come and worship together. Great. But part of our passion for putting the word auditorium above the the door is for you and I to understand. You're not coming here as the church. You are the church. When, the, when Jesus died, and one of the things you need to understand about the crucifixion is that there was a veil in the temple that was ripped in two. There was an earthquake and the veil was ripped. And that, that was symbolic of you and I no longer needing a priest, no longer needing somebody to go for us, but you and I having access to God ourselves. And Paul, I've said this before, Paul takes it as far as, and this is part of why he was so controversial. Paul says, no longer do you need that. You personally have access because you're the temple. That was huge. You want to talk about reasons why they wanted to kill him? That was one of the reasons. You don't say that. That's our temple. That's where we go to meet with God. You don't make it kind of a nothing. Paul says, not anymore. You are the temple. This is just a room. No offense. It's just a room. You carry the Holy Spirit with you. The Holy of Holies dwells inside of you. That's a big deal. And people get upset. I wish you would call something else. Sorry, we're just trying to help you understand in context who we are. You you, you hear language from from what we do. Love God, connect with each other, serve all. That's, that's, if you want to explain who we are as a church in in one that's it. Love God, connect with each other, serve all. And we're always going to be like that. Uh, other parts of our language. I, I say this all, it's been for you. It takes all of us for we to win. Yeah. That, that this isn't about like, well, you know, you get up and do this and they get up and do the music thing and somebody gets up and prays and there's, you know, people that come up and pray for people and there's other people. It, this is, it's all of us. And one of the dangers, and I get it, is we, we come in, and I, I say it this way and it feels offensive, but we come and watch the show. I feel like, I don't, what is the movie? I don't even know. Are you not entertained? What is it, Gladiator? Yeah, it's like, are you not entertained? Did I say it loud enough? Was I funny enough? I don't care. This is a movement where the challenge of, of you and I connecting with the Holy Spirit in Scripture is, what does this do to move me to action? To believe that something can change around me in my family, in my community, where I live, where I go to work. I say it all the time. Is it happening in us? Or we just go, ah, that felt good, and I could check the box, and now I can go root for the Seahawks or 49ers or whoever. It takes all of us for we to win. Amen. And that's how Paul says this is the body of Christ. Every person is a part, that that's how it's supposed to be. Some more of of what we talk about. We will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. And by the way, those are the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. When you get into Acts, they quote in red letters in Acts what Jesus said. And that's where we live. It's why, and I know we already talked about this a bit. I'm going to hammer on it. But it's that idea of how do you and I live generously with with our resources or with our time or, or with our talent? How do we do that? Because that helps move the kingdom forward. That's all of us involved in what's happening. Here's, and these are my favorites is why you hear them a lot. We give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Those are my favorites. 
Because this is not circling wagons. This is playing it unsafe. This is the risk of, of, of being a, a kind of group that exists for other people. How do we love well? How do we shine well? How do we sow seed into the hearts of people? What does it look like for you and I to make a difference wherever we go? What is that? What we want to do is create incredible environments for others to experience God's grace. It's, it's why, like I said, and, and pray about this. A couple of weeks back, we submitted our, our stuff to the city for the master plan at 4705 Grove to, to, to build an auditorium over here where there used to be a kid's wing, to expand our lobby so there's places for you to hang out after our gatherings and, and build bridges with one another. We, we want those things to happen. We want to make room for others. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. That we don't exist for us. It's why we're taking steps like that. And you'll hear more and you'll see more in the lobby here coming up. We're working with the architects about the renderings and all that. It's going to be great. But we want people to know that we care because it helps them understand there's a God who cares. That's how we're called to live. Jesus says this at the end of this whole conversation with the disciples. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We serve because it's modeled for us in Christ. Even after this Mark 10 moment, you're going to see as, as they're in the upper room, and I'm not going to share all this uh, in detail, but what, is, what does Jesus do? In the upper room, he takes off his outer garment and gets on his knees with a wash basin and washes the disciples' feet and says, I've done this for you. Do this for one another. Again, serve. Hearts that serve. And I'm going to explain why this matters, because even in our title, Made for More, we're made for more than just showing up. We're made for more than just having a feeling in a moment like this. We're made for more than checking a spiritual box. We're made to be part of this thing. And, and, and the reason I say it's so important is because I want to be completely transparent with you. Coming through the last few years, we've had to reestablish all of our teams at this church. Again, there were rooftop meeting, not in purse, all that crazy stuff that was going on and how we tried to handle it and do our best. But here we are going, how do we continue expanding kingdom? And I say it takes all of us because even this morning at 8.30, our first gathering, there was a, a gal that came in and she's relatively new to the church the last couple of months and, and, and she brought her kid in with her. And she went back to check her kid in at 8.30 and do you know what happened? Some of you already know this. We don't have Grove Kids at 8.30. So she came in the lobby and she goes, hey, my kiddo's going to be with me because I, I, I didn't know there wasn't kids. Oh, I'm so sorry, we're working on that. But the reason is simply because we, didn't, we don't currently have the manpower to make the 830 happen yet. We need individuals to dive in and go, how do I, how do I love and encourage kiddos in Christ? And some of you are wired and gifted that way. Some of you aren't, stay away. But some of you... That was not in my notes. That was a bonus comment. I know. Pray for that tongue. It's, you know, deadly, deadly fire. But listen, some of you, listen, some of you hide in the shadows, but you're gifted in music. And you go, well, I haven't, I haven't been involved. I haven't played a guitar. I haven't sung in a long time. Maybe consider prayerfully, God, should I take a step? Because honestly, I love our team. But even Hunter and Joy and, and Anna, they were all up here and they're amazing. They're great musicians. Go, we could use more people to play some drums, to, to, to play some guitar, to get on some keys, to sing. And if that's your thing, honestly, I want to challenge you to step out. 
greeting people and inviting them into here, helping them find a seat or handing them the communion elements. People like that, people on the parking lot going, hey, how can I help people find a spot? What we want to do, and this is our passion, is create incredible environments that, that, that as they come in, as they come onto the lot, as they go online and check out what's happening, we want it to be compelling and, 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 and welcoming and, and full of the, the work of the Spirit because when people walk in here, that's when I get to offend them. So if they've already had bad experiences, right? If they come in, they're already sour because somebody, you know, cut them off in the parking lot. Nobody greeted them on the way in and they couldn't find a seat or whatever. We try to help people have great experiences all the way so I can then offend them and they're ready for it. (laughs) Isn't that fun? But honestly, we believe wholeheartedly in all of these environments because it impacts people's ability to receive what God has for them. And I say it because I want to challenge you to consider what is it that you're wired to do. And here's the thing. I'll just be trying. If you don't know, then we have steps that we want to help you take. And Jen and our host team, and, and, and uh, they have all, all these different things. There's little uh, things, little questionnaires you can fill out to help narrow certain things. I don't know where I'm gifted or wired or whatever. We can help you, but I want to challenge every person in this room. What does it look like for you to be in the game? What does it look like for you to be vested? What does it look like for you to, to not just come and, 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 again, it feels great, awesome, but that you go, how do I take a step? And so if you've downloaded the app, you can always go on there and, and click on the Find Your Team and, and sign up for something. We'll help you take some steps. You can leave here and on your way out, there's the hub. We've got some great people that, that are volunteering over at the hub, trying to help you get connected. The iPad's there and help you take a step. You can go to grove.church. Click on those links about Find Your Team and, and, and do something. But again, this is about all of us for we to win. And, and I'm telling you, as long as we're, we're part of this together, there's always the tension in us of how do we mobilize this thing to make a difference in our world? Because at the end of the day, honestly, I, careers are a big deal and family is a big deal. It, that does, it's huge, great. But if we don't connect it to Christ, honestly, what we learn is it's meaningless. It's not what it's meant to be. So what does it look like for you to go, where is my part? How do I take a step? And if it's as simple as as you leave here today or even before you head out, email info at grove.church and go, hey, my name is such as I, I want to take a step. I don't even know what to do. You can do that. Father, today... I pray that, that, Lord, it's our dream and our passion to be missions-minded, God, to, to build the kingdom of Jesus. And, and be, oh, it's building your kingdom. It's not about us, God, but we really do believe wholeheartedly that there's something about kingdom that matters. And I honestly am such a believer that if people could encounter the real Jesus, why wouldn't they want that? But sometimes it's how we carry ourselves. Sometimes it's, well, I want this place on the ladder and we're unwilling to go down a notch or two. And yet, God, I pray for all of us to understand that the kingdom of God is opposite. It's not about climbing ladders unless we're going down. Humbling ourselves, willing to love and, and, and serve and be what you've called us to be. And I believe today it matters because in the season that we're in, there's some really great things going on. But there are individuals, I, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. God, help us take steps. And Father, I thank you for your grace and your work. Thank you that you modeled something for us. And you said, Even the Son of Man isn't all about the titles and climbing the ladders. I came to serve, and I pray that that would be our heart together in whatever capacity, once a month, twice a month, whatever. My God, I pray that you move and touch and draw every heart that we take steps in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.